Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today's message comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the baptism of Jesus marks the beginning of his public ministry, where he will begin to preach, teach, and perform miracles for the world. But did you know that before Jesus walked on water, he walked into water? That's what happened when he waded into the Jordan River at the beginning of his ministry to be baptized by John. And as we look back at an event we've probably heard about numerous times, let's try and see Jesus' baptism with fresh eyes. Because after years of hearing this story, we might get bored and say, Jesus is baptized by John, so what? Well, at this event, all heaven broke loose. Jesus was around 30 years old when he made his way to the Jordan, where his relative John was baptizing. John had been waiting for Jesus, for God had told John that he was going to reveal the Messiah to Israel through his baptizing. You can imagine his excitement then, when John finally spotted Jesus in the crowd. Here in the flesh was the one about whom John had been saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John pointed ahead to the greater one, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Imagine John's confusion then when Jesus asked to be baptized. What? Picture bragging to your friends about your rich uncle who was coming over for Christmas. The uncle who was sure to bring you lots of presents. But when he arrives, he asks if he could borrow 50 bucks from you to put gas in his car. How could John baptize Jesus when he had been telling everyone that he wasn't even worthy to stoop down and untie Jesus' sandal straps? That reality about Jesus that he was someone very special, was revealed at his baptism. John's baptism was about repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't need his sins washed away because he didn't have any. So why did he insist on getting baptized? Even John the Baptist struggled with this question. When Jesus first requested baptism, John refused and correctly stated that he needed to be baptized by Jesus. John was a sinner, while Jesus was not. Think of it like this. Did you ever go camping in his tent, whether at a park or in your own backyard? The first time, did you do it all by yourself? No. I'm sure a parent or an older sibling slept in the tent with you. It was their way of assuring you that you had nothing to worry about. If lions and bears were going to attack your tent, well, your tent mate was there to protect you. You were in this thing together. When Jesus asked to be baptized, he was doing something similar. He was taking his place among the people he had come to save. Jesus was letting the world know that he, the Son of God, had come to stand with sinners. 
Actually, he came to stand in our place to take our sin and to bear our punishment. Jesus' baptism, therefore, not only reveals that he is the Son of God, it reveals that he is the Savior of the world. Or to put it another way, when a friend or a family member grabs the check at a restaurant at the end of a meal, what does it mean? It means that they intend to pay the bill. When Jesus stepped into the water of the Jordan, it was his way of letting the world know that he was picking up the tab for all of our sins. The payment of that bill came due on Good Friday, three years later. And when it did, it cost Jesus everything. But we shouldn't think that Jesus' baptism was his way of getting his feet wet to be our savior. No, that work had begun the moment he was conceived. That truth is revealed in what happened immediately after Jesus' baptism. As Jesus came out of the water, all heaven broke loose. Literally. The skies parted and the Father who had first spoken at creation spoke again. He said, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. When the Father said that he was well pleased with Jesus, it wasn't just because he was a chip off the old block. God the Father was pleased with Jesus because up to that point, he had done everything perfectly. He had been a perfect baby, never screaming to get his way and never ripping toys out of the hands of other kids. He had been a respectful youth, never rolling his eyes at how slow his parents sometimes were to understand him. As a teenager, he never burned with lust for the cute girl down the street. Nor did he ever ignore doing chores around the house. God the Father was pleased with Jesus because although he was already the sinless son of God, he was also the sinless son of Mary. A perfect human being as Adam had once been and as God expects us all to be, really. Otherwise, all hell will break loose. And that is where we would all go, because that's what we deserve for our sins. But now by stepping into line with those sinners waiting to be baptized at the Jordan, Jesus had said to them and to us, I will become what you are, a lazy student, a restless warrior, a dirty old man, a rude child, a constant complainer, a grudge holder. I will become all of this when I let the Father, God, collect all your sins into his heavenly trash can and dump them all on me at the cross. Meanwhile, you will go free and will be declared to be what I am, a faithful child with whom the Father is well pleased. The heavens tore open at Jesus' baptism, for with the Messiah's arrival, the wall that had separated a holy God from sinful people would be ripped up. Indeed, there was another violent tearing when at Jesus' death, the curtain shielding the most holy place in the temple was shredded in two by unseen hands, announcing that there is now no barrier, no wall, no curtain between God and us. The Father's voice, the tearing open of the heavens. It should have been enough to convince John and the others standing around that Jesus was the one to save the world. But the Holy Spirit, too, put his mark of approval on Jesus at that baptism when he made an appearance. 
the Holy Spirit, who had once hovered over the ancient waters of an infant earth, now descended above the waters of the Jordan, not as a flashing tongue of fire as he would on Pentecost, but arriving in the form of a gentle dove, drifting down from heaven and descending on Jesus. Can you think of another time in the Bible when a dove made an appearance? Sure. Noah sent out a dove from the ark to see if the floodwaters had receded. And what did it bring back in its beak to signify that God's judgment was spent? An olive branch. By descending on Jesus in the form of a dove, it seems as if the Holy Spirit was proclaiming that Jesus is God's olive branch to us. For in Jesus, we have peace. Heavenly realities being revealed to the world. What an event Jesus' baptism was. But do you realize that your baptism was quite the event too? When water was poured over your head and God's name was pronounced, all heaven broke loose as the Holy Spirit descended on you to create or to strengthen faith. And God the Father proclaimed, This is my child whom I love. God can claim us sinners as his children because baptism really washes away sin. The forgiveness we receive there is as real as the baptismal water dripping down our forehead. For that is God's promise. Baptism brings great comfort when Satan questions our status before God. After getting us to fall into sin, Satan will point to our gossiping. He will denounce our lustfulness, and he will condemn our greediness, and then ask how we can claim to be God's children. We can claim to be God's children because that's what God declared us to be in baptism. So am I suggesting that our baptism gives us the green light to act in any way we want to? I mean, if all of our sins are forgiven in baptism, even the future ones we will commit, what difference does it make how we live? When Satan tempts us to think that way, we need to remember John the Baptist's message. He preached a baptism of repentance, not recklessness. When we repent, we see where we fall completely short in our Christian lives and how we miss the mark, how we cannot save ourselves and how we are by no means perfect. Luther is helpful here in the small catechism in teaching the people of how to repent and identify sin in their lives. He asks these very pointed and helpful questions. He says, consider your place in life according to the Ten Commandments. Are you a father, mother, son, daughter, husband, wife, or worker? Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? These questions take no prisoners and leave no one out. When we repent, we see our need for grace. We are pointed to our Savior, Jesus, the one who took the fault, blame, and punishment for our sin. We are pointed to the one who makes things right with God and makes our path straight before him. 
In repentance, we also remember our baptism. We recall the name and words spoken over us at that event. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At our baptism, God's name was placed on us, marking us as his redeemed children and making us members and heirs of his family. On that special day, we received many gifts, like the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, a rescue from death and the devil, and eternal salvation. On that day, we were united to the one who saved and forgives us. The gifts and blessings come because of Christ's death and resurrection for us. When we remember our baptism, we remember how these gifts have been given to us. Baptism is the proof and reminder of this. So what if you're sitting there today and you're not baptized? Baptism is a means of grace. One of the ways that God gives us his grace, the things we don't deserve, like his love and his forgiveness. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, absolution, his word are all means of grace. What baptism does is works forgiveness of sins, rescues from death and the devil, and gives eternal, to sal- eternal salvation to all who believe this as the words and promises of God declare. We baptize babies because Jesus commanded us to baptize all nations, and babies are included in all nations. They are also sinners and need what baptism gives. But what if your parents never brought you to baptism as a baby? Can you still get baptized? Of course, the lack of baptism does not equal the lack of faith. Part of our trouble in regard to appreciating the sacraments is that we approach them as law, as things we must do and keep in order to be saved. We tend to approach them as individual moments in time when we either obeyed God by our participation or did not obey him by not participating in the sacraments. In some sense, we can say that, yes, to participate is to obey, and to refrain from participating is to not obey. But our obedience is an obedience of faith, so that as Abraham was, so are we, justified by faith. And this faith draws us to the sacraments, so that we want to participate in them because of faith. So we can say and should say that participation and lack thereof is a good symptom of a person's faith, but is not proof or disproof of it. We live in baptism and continually feed on Christ, resting in holy absolution, whether we are at work, at play, or in the Lord's house. The sacraments are not individual moments in time like a television show that we either watched or didn't watch. They are ongoing realities in which we live and move and have our being, since their reality is Christ, who is always and everywhere living with and among his saints. It may be said that the sacraments are not only our life in God, but our God's life in us. They are how God lives among us and with us and reveals himself to us and for us. So that by participating in the blessed sacraments, we are participating in the life of God, which is necessary for salvation. In this way, we can easily see that being baptized is necessary. 
so too is eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ in his supper. So too is hearing his word. So too is receiving his absolution. These are all necessary for salvation because they are our participation in the life of God. And those who believe participate in the life of God as the scriptures teach. We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. A person should be baptized when they believe in Jesus and desire it. We should baptize those who are brought in the faith of the parents, whether that person is an hour old, a day old, or 12 years old. Age doesn't matter. What matters is that baptism is the promise of God that the blood of Jesus washes away sin, makes us righteous, and cleanses us from all our spiritual diseases. Baptism is God's grace toward us, his seal and guarantee that we are among the blessed and that the inheritance of Christ is ours. Baptism is the most glorious treasure of heaven, giving the blessings of the eternal Father to those who are in his eternal Son, Jesus. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding. Guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.